Long ago, God gave his people a leader after his own heart. They wanted a mighty warrior. God gave them a shepherd, but this shepherd would fell a giant, fighting fear itself. He was rewarded with the crown and comfort and brought prosperity to the land. He became complacent, impulsive. He would be consumed by anger, risking everything he had built. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys are off to a great holiday weekend. Everybody having a good weekend so far? That's good. That's better than the eight o'clock, so you need to teach them how to have a good holiday weekend. Want to thank those of you who are joining us from an off-site campus, maybe Johns Island or James Island. Glad you guys are along for the ride as well. Hey, um, before I get started, let me say this because I don't want to forget, uh, and I want you guys to miss out on it, but in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're actually going to be doing baptism across all of our campuses. And so if you're in, here in Charleston, we'll actually do an ocean baptism. So if you're interested in getting involved in that, uh, maybe you want to be baptized or know someone who wants to be baptized, I'll give you some more info later on in our service. But today, I actually wanted to tell you a story about something that happened at one of our baptisms. Last year, it was during one of our ocean baptisms. If you've been part of an ocean baptism with us, you know they can be a little bit dicey because of the weather. And we've had some that have been exciting. And one of these last year was particularly exciting uh, because the weather wasn't looking great. It wasn't raining, but the lightning and thunder was popping off all around us. You could see these super dark, like apocalyptic dark clouds rolling in. And we knew we needed to get this baptism done because either Jesus was coming back or the zombies were coming. We weren't sure which, but something was going to go down. This particular baptism, ocean baptism, however, we had great weather. Skies were clear, but we did have waves. And so at an ocean baptism, waves aren't always good. They weren't huge, but they were big enough. You know, like three to four feet, they would crash on your head if you weren't paying attention. And so... When we do ocean baptisms, we will typically pair up pastors together so we can help each other out. And on this day, I had grabbed Jeff Reppard, who is the pastor over our marriage ministry here in Mount Pleasant. And we were, had walked out into the water, we baptized a few people, and then noticed this mother and daughter walking out towards us. The daughter was probably college age. And as they were walking out, I could tell the daughter looked pretty nervous. And so she got closer and I said, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm, I think I'm okay. I just don't swim all that well. I said, no problem. We're not going out any further than this. And so we're standing there getting ready to do this and, and Jeff's kind of got his eyes on the waves. And so he says, hold up. I think there are a couple of bigger waves coming. Let's let them roll through and then we'll baptize mom and daughter. I said, great. So I'm standing right here in the water and uh, we're all about waist deep. Jeff's standing here. Daughter is standing here in front of me, and mom's right in front of Jeff. Everybody got the picture? So we're getting ready to baptize them, and we're all kind of looking over our shoulder to make sure these waves don't cream us. And as they get closer, I realize we're good, no, no trouble here. And so I turn back around feeling comfortable and notice that the daughter is not feeling comfortable. And so she jumps on me. And when I say she jumps on me, I mean she jumps up out of the water, throws her arms around my neck, and throws her legs around my waist. And I'm, I, I just froze. I mean, I'm, all I can think about is how many cameras are on the beach. In fact, we 
assign photographers to pastors so that people will have a picture of their baptism. <laughs> and so I freeze in that moment and I'm just thinking, don't touch her. <laughs> My arms go straight out. I try to back away from it as much as I can, but she's just clinging to me. I'm thinking, don't touch her, but Oliver's touching me. So the wave rolls through and she hops down and she's fine. And I look over at Jeff and he and I are like, what just happened? <laughs> so I thought, you know, the best way to cut through the awkwardness of this moment is just to proceed with the baptism. So we do baptize both mom and daughter and then we pray for them. And I, I feel like the prayer sounded something like something like this. God, we thank you for these two who have decided to publicly demonstrate their faith in you through baptism, and we pray, Lord, that they would cling to you all of their lives, <laughs> that they would throw their arms and legs around you, Jesus. Amen. She was not at all trying to make me feel uncomfortable. She was just trying to not drown, which is something we encourage at our baptisms. We don't want that. But it did make me realize something that... Uh, you know, I, we were super proud of this mom and, and daughter, by the way. Let me just say that. They had made a big decision to get baptized, and so we were honored to be part of it. But in all of the chaos, it, it made me realize just how quick, almost instinctive we are to seek our own comfort. For the girl, her comfort was in not drowning. For me, my comfort was in getting her off of me and on her own two feet. But it is interesting to me that we are so instinctive to seek our comfort. And today we're gonna to look at some people who I think can probably identify with that. We've been in a series, if you've been with us the past few weeks, called Goliath Must Fall. So we've been, this is week five of it, and if you've been with us, uh, I feel like now would be a great time just to remind us why this is important. Why is it a big deal that Goliath must fall? And I think to answer the question, we have to look at the context of the battle between David and Goliath. So the battle takes place at a time in Israel's history when they are growing, they're expanding. They're growing into the territory that God had promised to give them, their promised land, right? Goliath and the Philistine army represented a threat to that promise. In order for them to grow into the freedom and blessing that God had for them, Goliath would have to fall. And in order for you and me to grow and expand into the blessing and freedom that God has for us, our giants may also need to fall. So we've looked at three giants. Let me just remind you quickly. The first was the giant of anger and how that can just steadily erode at the quality of our lives. The second was the giant of fear and anxiety and how that can cause us to lose perspective and we just feel stuck and frustrated. And last week we looked at the giant of addiction and how we can sometimes use addiction as a coping strategy to deal with the pain that we feel on the inside only creating a bigger mess for ourselves. But there's still one giant left and this one is really subtle but also really dangerous. Before I tell you what it is, I want us to look at a passage of scripture together. It's a passage that you guys may have read this week from Mark 10. And let me just say this, if you're still following along with us in our year in the word reading plan, great job. 
If you've fallen off along the way, now would be a great time to restart. We're halfway through the year. You can finish strong for the rest of the year. Or if you haven't started at all, again, just download the app, jump in, start on whatever day it is. Don't try to go backwards and cover what you missed. Just start where we are and continue on. But this week, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and it says this. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting beside the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. He's calling you on your feet. It's interesting to me the crowd would switch so fast. Shut up. I mean, cheer up. Get up. He's calling you. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Throw, excuse me. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Why don't we pray before we go any further? God, we are grateful for your word and just the treasure that it is. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way you did for Bartimaeus. Give us the sight we need to see what we, uh, the freedom that we were made to live in. And we pray in your name. Amen. So, I don't know if you know this, but most of the miracles in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, have at least two dimensions. We can see on one side the power and authority of God in what was done. But in the way it was done, we see the heart of God. And we want to look at both of those because they're both really important. We're going to do that today as we look at this last giant. Here we see Jesus leaving Jericho. You may remember Jericho from the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. This was the first city that Israel encountered when they entered the promised land. It was also the first city they would have to conquer in order to step into the freedom that God had for them. Essentially, Jericho was a gateway into what was next. And now we see Jericho again in the New Testament. And here, once again, it is a gateway into what is next. Not just for a blind man, not just for the crowd, but I think also for you and me. Now, I've told you guys before that I, I believe God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary stuff. I think it goes even further than that. I think God uses broken and busted and messy people to reach people who think they've got it all put together. And I don't know if, if you can identify with me here, but I've been on both sides of that. I have been the broken and busted person that God has used. I've also been the guy who's arrogant and self-reliant enough to think that I have it all together. Your faces aren't really empathizing with me, so I feel a little alone up here, thanks. <laughs> it seems to me, though, that God intended to use this blind man to show us something we desperately need to see. That in order to take hold of something new in life, we often have to let go of something familiar, something safe, something comfortable. And that's where we unveil this last giant, the last giant that has to fall before we can begin to experience the freedom that Jesus died to bring us is the giant of self, the giant of self. I don't know if you'd agree with this, 
but I think in many ways we've become a self-obsessed culture. In fact, in 2013, we branded our obsession with self by introducing the word selfie. 2013, it was the, year, the word of the year by Oxford Dictionaries. And I don't know if you've been part of it. I'm not huge on social media, so maybe you've been more a part of the selfie revolution. If you have, you know that selfies can be great, they can be fun, but they can also go wrong pretty fast. And so I looked up a few examples of some selfies that went sideways, and I wanted to share them with you today. Here's the first one. This guy, I don't know if it's his first day on the job or what, but he thought before he got to work, he would snap a selfie. I'm feeling like if I'm the homeowner, I'm unfriending that guy. <laughs> Put the fire out, please, my house is burning down. Here's another one, I think this guy thought he found his body double, so he took a picture with him. I think this next one was supposed to have been the same thing, but it got sideways, it didn't work out. <laughs> but now they are making the same face, so it's all good. Here's another one, this guy seems to be in imminent danger, but doesn't care. Feels like he's got time for a selfie. What's most interesting to me is that the bear seems into it. <laughs> he's kind of got his head cocked to the side like, hey, tag me in that. Here's another one where a guy looks like he's in imminent danger. I don't even know if that's real. That might be Photoshopped. Would you agree that wildlife selfies are a risky proposition? But do you know that wildlife sometimes get into selfies? Here's one, I don't know how this happens. <laughs> Needed something to post. This one's my favorite. This guy's just taking a walk in the woods and sees a furry friend and decides, I'm gonna take a picture with my little squirrel friend. Then he remembers his little squirrel friend is a wild animal and now he's taking a faster walk in the woods. <laughs> Obviously we're not talking, the message is not about selfies today. But it is interesting to me that we have become, as a culture, so self-focused. I don't know if you see that. It just seems that way to me that we've become so self-focused. And in this world of self-obsession, is it possible that we have now become the giant that has to fall? Is it possible that we are standing in the way of our own freedom? Is it possible that our focus on self and pleasure and comfort keep us, that it keeps us from experiencing the freedom God is offering us? You know, if you get down to it, there are really two reasons why, why self often wins over God, why people are reluctant to go deeper into their relationship with God, or maybe even begin a relationship with God at all. Two reasons. Shame and pride. Shame tells us, I'm not enough for God and he's not interested. Pride, on the other hand, tells us, God's not enough for me, I'm not interested. Those who think they aren't good enough for God believe that God could never love someone with their story, with their past, with all their mistakes. And we, you know, it's kind of like all we, all we can see is what we should have done or what we should not have done. Any of you relate to that? I'm gonna give you some advice that a good friend gave me one time. She told me, Adam, never should on yourself and never should on other people. 
but it's true. We should all over ourselves <laughs> and other people. We end up feeling terrible for the things that we've done, and we begin to think that we aren't good enough for God. On the other hand, those who think that God's not good enough for them struggle to believe that God could truly satisfy them, and they cling desperately to what's familiar and what's comfortable, forfeiting the new life that God is offering them. In either case, no matter which side of that spectrum you might fall on, in either case, the giant of self stands between us and the freedom we were made for. It could be the giant of self-pity, or it could be the giant of self-sufficiency. It could be the giant of self-condemnation or the giant of self-centeredness. The problem is the same no matter what, though. The problem with the giant of self is in the blindness that it causes. We only see our own problems. We only see our own desires. We begin to believe the lies that we aren't good enough for God or that God isn't good enough for us. We become so self-focused on satisfying ourselves that we lose sight of the God who knows how to satisfy us completely. And yet, here we meet Bartimaeus, this blind beggar who has something to teach us. Ironically, he has something to teach us. By all social standards, this guy was a nobody. We don't even know his name. We know him by Bartimaeus, which in Hebrew culture, bar is a prefix for the word son of. So this was son of Timaeus. Jesus' full name would have been Jesus bar Joseph. We don't know this guy's first name. We just know him as son of Timaeus. He spent his days sitting by the roadside begging for charity. And every day people passed him by. I bet most days he felt like he was completely unnoticed. But on this day, Bartimaeus' life changed. And the question that we need to answer is how? How did it change? I think Bartimaeus does three things that help us answer that question. The first thing he did was in verse 47. It's three words, he cried out. Bartimaeus cried out. He heard Jesus was coming down the road. He screamed out his name. And why? I think it's because he, he knew. He knew he needed help. So he cried out. This was the best thing Bartimaeus had going for him. He understood he needed help. He may have been blind. He may have been a beggar, but he knew that he needed help. That's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to recognize when we need help sometimes. But I think it was both Bartimaeus and the crowd, they both knew they needed God, but the difference is that only one of them knew it. Only one of them acted on it. They both needed God and only one of them knew it. And so he cried out. That's kind of how freedom begins, I think. We get to a point in our lives where we've just had enough. And we draw a line and we decide no more. We're moving in a new direction from here. In fact, in a couple of days, we're about to celebrate a moment in our country's history where a group of people decided enough. We will not be taxed anymore without also having a voice. And they decided freedom was worth fighting for, even if it meant facing a Goliath like the British army. They were convinced they were made to be free and they were willing to die for that freedom to let go of themselves if that's what it took. 
And that brings us to the second thing I think Bartimaeus did to help us answer the question. He let go of everything. He let go of everything that hindered him, verse 50 tells us. He, he threw aside his cloak, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now this one needs a little bit of context. So at that time, uh, this was a pretty common way to dress, and this was also the thing that Bartimaeus, this would have allowed Bartimaeus to beg for the living that he begged for. So he would have looked something like this, and the, the way the scene would have looked is, is kind of like this. He would have sat down beside the roadside begging. His cloak would have been a little longer than this one. It would have covered, he would have used it to cover his knees, you know, to keep it modest. But if you know me and you've heard me speak, you know that modesty is not so much my thing. <laughs> so people would throw money and he would create this little bowl between his legs where the money could drop and he could hear it and get it. If they threw it around him, that's not really fair. He's blind. So they throw it right here where he can get his hands on it. But then he heard Jesus say, call him. And the thing came off. You gotta imagine, he jumped up so fast and money went flying. Whatever was in that cloak came, came out and he left it behind. That's a pretty big deal. Because this was the thing, it was a critical part of his day-to-day -day life that enabled him to have whatever modest living it was, it enabled him to have it. He clung to it, but when Jesus called him, he threw it off. He let it go, he let go of everything he had to get in front of Jesus. Because he knew this invitation could change everything about him. For the first time in his life, I wonder if he wasn't wishing he could run away from something. I wonder if he was excited to be running to something. I don't know if that connects with any of you, but let me ask it to you this way. What keeps you from coming to Jesus? What keeps you from going deeper in your relationship with God? Is it shame or is it pride? Is it comfort or complacency? It can be difficult to identify our, our giants. I will give you that. And honestly, uh, I'll give you a practical exercise that might help you do it. Spend some time looking at your calendar or looking at your bank statement. You'll identify what your priorities are. Those things tend to reveal our priorities about us more than we care to admit. And as you look at them, ask yourself this question. Is there anything here that I would not be willing to let go of if God asked me to? Tim Keller says it like this. Idols aren't necessarily sinful objects. The human heart can take good things like love, a successful career, material possessions, even family, and turn them into ultimate things. Our hearts make them God because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment. So for 15 years, I, I worked with a ministry called Young Life, and uh, we loved being a part of that mission. It was really an honor. My, for most of that time, Dana was on staff with me. But after 15 years, we decided, you know, it may be time to bring someone else in, so we stepped down. And when we did, I, you know, obviously needed to find a job, so I started working for a business out of Columbia that uh, just, you know, a business world and uh, they offered me a great job. They let me open their office here in uh, Charleston, and I had a great schedule. I mean, got to be home every night, got to be home on the weekends, made a great living. We were really comfortable. 
That was the first couple years. It was just super smooth. The next two years, kind of the same. Made a great living, had a great schedule. If, I mean, if I'm honest, I didn't like totally love the work. It didn't light me on fire in the mornings when I came to work. But we were really comfortable. Life felt very safe and predictable. The last two years, still making a great living, still had a great schedule, but began to realize that God had not released me from ministry. And that's where it got hard. Because about that time, Seacoast offered me a position. And honestly, the most financially sensible thing we could have done was to stay with the job I had. So we left. <laughs> we left because we believed God was leading us into ministry. And we, you know, we're so grateful that it was here with Seacoast. But that was not an easy choice for us. Sometimes taking hold of something new requires that we let go of something familiar, something safe, something comfortable. One of my favorite authors is John Ortberg. And uh, during that season that I was in, I read something that he wrote that was, it was tough for me to read at the time. And it helped me to realize why I needed to leave that job. He said, don't ask for comfort. Don't ask for ease. Don't ask for manageability. Ask for a challenge that is bigger than yourself one that will require the very best you have to give, one that will make a difference in the world. Ask for a dream that will keep you learning and growing and uncomfortable and hungry. Has the giant of self made us so comfortable that we don't feel the need to cry out and throw off what hinders us? in order to go deeper in our relationship with God? Is it time to let go of that comfort? Is it time to make God first instead of ourselves? I guess the real question that we have to answer is this, and only you guys can answer this. Is it possible that the life we want can only be found by letting go of it? Jesus said it this way, if you want if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Is it possible that the life we want can only be found by letting go of it? So there's one more thing that Bartimaeus did that I think we need to notice before we can answer that question, and that's this. He changed his direction. He changed his direction. In another version that we didn't read, the ESV, it says this, Jesus told him, your faith has healed you. Now go on your way. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see the difference there? There's an important difference that we have to recognize, a subtle change that I don't, I don't think we wanna miss there. Jesus said, go on your way, Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way. Bartimaeus's way, the course of his life, changed. It was no longer about himself. It was about God. His way changed. I know you might be thinking, seriously, Adam, this guy was a blind beggar. How much did he have to lose? 
and it's a fair question, but here's the problem with the question. I don't think this is just about you, and I don't think this is just about Bartimaeus. I think it's about you and me. I think maybe it's more so about you and me. If you look at the context of the chapter here in Mark 10, we see a couple of other stories that he tells us. One is about two of the disciples who are walking with Jesus and arguing along the way, asking for a higher seat of honor above one another. Another story is about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking what he has to do to inherit the kingdom of God only to realize that he's not comfortable letting go of his wealth in order to follow Jesus. All of this happens in the same chapter. And I think it's because Mark wants us to understand we tend to place an overly high value on our own comfort, on ourself, on what's familiar, on what feels safe. And that feeds the giant of self. But here we are at the very end of chapter 10 where Mark tells us about Bartimaeus. This blind beggar. I think this is here to show us how the giant of self must fall. That it begins with crying out. And then we have to let go of what's holding us back. And then we have to be willing to let our way be changed. We have to trade our way for Jesus' way. Now, I promised you that we were going to look at both sides of the miracle. We want to look at what God does because it reveals the power and authority of God. But we also want to look at how he does it because that shows us the heart of God. And this is super interesting here. Very simple, but really profound. It says that Mark tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem here. And at this point in his ministry, he was going there to die. It's not though as though he didn't have something to do. He had an agenda. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is nearby and the large crowd is following and Bartimaeus starts screaming out. The crowd tells him to be quiet. The same crowd that told him to be quiet passed him by every single day, but he shouted even louder. And then here's the picture of the heart of God that I don't think we can miss. We can't afford to miss this. Jesus stopped. Two words, Jesus stopped. He did exactly what the crowd never did. This is the same road that the crowd walked every single day. Every day they passed him by, hardly noticing him, but on this day, Jesus stopped. That's a big deal, and it needs to say something to us about the heart of God towards you and me. I think it needs to help us know once and for all, this settles it, that the vulnerable and honest cry of our hearts reaches heaven. In fact, it stops heaven. God, God is that attentive and that interested. Jesus stopped to communicate something really important to the crowd, to Bartimaeus, and I think to you and to me. And I want this to be something you take home with you today. Through the story about Bartimaeus, I think Jesus is telling us that we are never so broken that we cannot cry out to him but we are also never so put together that we don't need him desperately. But here's the thing. If we have the courage to cry out to God, then we will also need to find the courage to answer the question that follows. Jesus asked Bartimaeus a question. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is super interesting to me, and I hope it, it connects with you. 
Bartimaeus sat by that road every day, and every day he asked the crowd for the very same thing, charity, charity. He asked the crowd for what he believed they could give him. But when Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He did not ask for charity. He asked for healing. He believed Jesus was capable of giving him something that the crowd could not give him. He seemed to understand the difference between what the world could offer him, even what he could offer himself, and what God could offer him. Why is it that this blind beggar seems to understand something? He seems to see something that is often so hard for us to see. That there is a difference between what the world and what we ourselves can offer to one another, to ourselves, and what God can offer us. I don't know what next step God may be calling you to, but I do believe there is one. Maybe it's to go deeper in your relationship with God. Maybe it's to jump back in in this reading plan and start to really expose yourself to God's word, to the truth and hope and promises therein. Maybe it's to find a group of people who can help you do that, people who can challenge you, encourage you, support you. Maybe for some of you, it's to start a relationship with God, that today you'd be willing to draw the line and say, enough, that's it. I'm ready to step into something new. If that's true for you, I want you to write that on a Connect card. Katie mentioned it as we opened the service, but write it on a Connect card. Leave it here with us. We would love to help you take that next step. Maybe for some of you, it's something really simple like getting baptized. I told you in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be doing baptism across all of our campuses. If you're interested in that, all you need to do is text the word baptism to the number that you see on the screen. They'll get you all the info you need. Now let me close with this. I want you to remember the words that the crowd gave to Bartimaeus. After seeing the kindness and mercy Jesus showed him, the crowd said, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. I don't think those were words only for Bartimaeus. I think they were for you and me as well. So I wanna encourage you today, cheer up, on your feet, he is calling you. Today may be a Jericho for you, a gateway into something that is next and new in your life. But taking hold of something new will almost always require us to let go of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we can see not only the power with which you love and heal us, but the kindness with which you love and heal us through the story of Bartimaeus. Pray that uh, in this time you would have answered some questions for us, maybe once and for all, that we are never so broken that we can't cry out to you and never so put together that we don't need you. So Lord, we know we need you. We ask you to help us take a, 
step in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen.